Hello and welcome to Chick Flicks. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell, and today we are talking about Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I always want to call him Bram Stroker, mm. which sounds like his porn name. <laughs> uh, yeah, that guy was like born to write a book about vampires, I feel like. Absolutely was. <laughs> I would be, I obviously could have looked this up by now, but I wonder if that was his given name. If not, oh, still amazing. Yeah, good choice, if, if not. <laughs> Uh, but first, let's catch up. And we have a lot to catch up on since obviously Absolutely we haven't done an episode do. <laughs> in months. I like that we both picked, um, I think, three books. Yeah, we had time to read. Because... Absolutely. Uh, I feel like I picked books because a lot of the, I don't know, I feel like TV and movies is kind of like the monoculture just recommends the same thing for everyone Mm -hmm. to an extent. Yeah. But I'm like, books are still like everyone's reading different books. I think a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. You're totally right. I think that's very true. Um, yeah. Especially right now with like house of dragons and rings of power, which exactly, you know, I would love to talk about, but yeah. Or I even thought about like the bear, but I was like, everyone's heard about the fucking bear by now. (laughs) (laughs) True. True. Yeah. Uh, Mackenzie, why don't we kick it off with, with one of your picks? Okay, yeah. So um, I guess the first one I'll talk about is The Absolute Book by Elizabeth Knox. And it's a fantasy book um, about a woman whose sister is murdered. And then she makes oh, no. a deal with a man to have her mur- her sister's murderer killed. Um And then years later, a detective is trying to solve the cold case of the murderer's death. And the the detective and the woman are like swept up into a world of fairies. (laughs) (gasps) And a conflict between the fairy realm and hell, basically. Um, I love that. And this book is so confusing. (laughs) (laughs) But I also couldn't put it down. So... It's like when I finished reading it, I couldn't decide if I loved it or I hated it. And I checked out on the review, the reviews on Goodreads and pretty much everyone says the same thing. They're like, I loved this book, but I had no idea what was going on. Or they're like, I hated it. I had no idea what was going on. (gasps) So the reviews are really fun to read. um, And I feel like it's something that could probably benefit from a second read or and yeah. maybe even like a slower read where you're just like looking up a bunch of stuff as you go but it was definitely you're like familiar with all the names and already and yeah. yeah it was it was really cool um it was definitely like unique and it had some really cool um I, I felt like every section or like scene was mm-hmm. very distinct and different from each other so I feel like they're um like I don't know it's just like a lot to chew on and it was a really cool um book so that's the first one the second one I'll talk about is called uh The Black Tongue Thief by Christopher Buhlman this is like a newer fantasy book um and it's like has goblin wars witches giants assassins Um, but it follows a thief that's in debt to the guild that trained him. And the Mm. guild basically controls the government in all countries except one. And he's instructed by the guild to team up with a soldier from another country. 
and they have the same destination but ultimately different goals but the thief doesn't know what the goal is he just has to do what the guild tells him to do and this book was super fun and very the writing was super smart and uh like brisk and beautiful i love that and it was just very lovable and i am so excited i think it's gonna have a sequel i'm so excited for it um it was a very unique read i i thought it was like the the author i guess had um it's his first fantasy book but he had written horror Mm -hmm. before and I really want to check out his horror books now because I really enjoyed his writing. So, mm. um, And then the third book I'll talk about is The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin. And I haven't read any N.K. Jemisin before, but after... Sh- it was so good. Like, after this one... Mm. Uh, I'm super excited to get more into her other like this one I think was more sci-fi I'm interested I'm like super excited to read more of her fantasy stuff but um, I listened to it actually and it's the best production of an audiobook I've ever listened to it was such a good audiobook like it had super cool it like not overwhelmingly Mm -hmm. using special effects and things like that or like sound effects or whatever but it did occasionally use them and use them super well and the voices were just like amazing and Mm -hmm. there were really incredible like action sequences um i'll tell you what the book's about now um it takes place in new Uh york and a person in each borough becomes an avatar for their respective borough and they have to team up to face an alien entity that's trying to take over the city and they get help from i think uh Rio de Janeiro is like another city that comes to help them like it's a, it's like a Whoa. person but that is like embodied like a like a city um so each there's each borough has an avatar but then New York as a whole has an avatar by itself um too so it's not just the boroughs it's just one city also mm-hmm. um but it I thought so the book overall I thought the pacing was a little bit weird um but it was super cool and I'm and the writing was awesome. I'm very excited to read more of her work. Um, and I think this is going to get a sequel too. So I'm excited about that. Is it recent? That's a good question. I, I probably, yeah. it's probably on the newer side um, mm-hmm. compared to she's been writing for a while. Um, yeah. Your point about the audiobook made me think about what an interesting job it would be to produce audiobooks. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they have like a, a director, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that would be an interesting niche field to get into. Yeah, it would. Yeah, that would be super fun, actually. I read this New York Times article about audiobooks. I can't remember what it was about, like a specific author or like children's book author who had like a lot of opinions. I'm doing a terrible job of recounting this, but they were basically of the thought that like an audiobook should just be a person reading. It should not be like someone doing voices or like embellishing. Oh wow! It was like a war in the audiobook world. Yeah. That's so funny. I feel like yeah. growing up, I must have listened to a few that were like that, where it was just like a person reading instead of yeah. like it embellished being embellished. But that's very mm-hmm. funny. Yeah, I, it's interesting too because I, I always have an audiobook going really like while mm-hmm. I'm, you know. I might be like reading another book physically, but I always have an audiobook going too. And 
I recently listened to one called uh, Not Good for Maidens and I really I loved the book it was about goblins <laughs> and like I love you're on a fairy kick yeah <laughs> uh, and the I didn't like the 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 person reading it I guess or like I didn't love I like it's sort of it was like the opposite case for this book where I felt like the text was like definitely enhanced from the audiobook I guess um Mm -hmm. like I'm sure it would be great to read N.K. Jemison's work physically too like in a physical book but um I definitely thought the the production was great quality but it could go the other way too yeah yeah definitely um well the three books I picked out of the um the books that I've read this year were all I tried to pick ones that I like absolutely couldn't put down Mm -hmm. uh I love like a slow burn too or like taking your time but these were just three that I I think if I had been left to my own devices or didn't have to work or see people, I would have just like sat down and read cover to cover. Wow. Um, the first is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by uh, Gabrielle Zevin, who I was a huge fan of in high school for her YA books. She wrote um, two books. One was called Elsewhere and the other was called Memoirs, Memoir of, an, uh, of a Teenage Amnesiac. And I remember even thinking as a teenager that they were both um, like very mature and that her writing was um, really like thoughtful and vivid and those books just always stuck with me even though they were like YA books I was always like thinking of her and her career and then she's released a few other like four adult books whatever that means um, and I think one of them was just recently made into a movie uh, but this one I think has made the bigger splash kind of in uh, the literary world It is about two childhood friends, Sam and Sadie, who meet in, like, the pediatric ward of a hospital, and they begin playing games with each other. And their friendship and their relationship in their adult years is shaped by, basically, play. Um, They both become, they become game designers together. They create a video game that becomes um, very famous, and they go on to start their own production company. But the book is really about their relationship and their friendship as much as it is about um their work and the games they create uh and there's lots of like really beautiful reflections on how um like kind of like a thing that runs through the book is when is that when you're designing a game you're thinking of the person who's going to play the game and it's like a very empathetic and loving place to be in um and it's just a really good story about friendship and it'll make you cry it has a like a pretty big emotional third act. Um, I just really loved it. I think she's like an amazing writer and I really am not that into video games, but I don't think you have to be to read this book. And I think if you are, then you're just going to love it even more. Um, super, super enjoyed it. I really want to read it. Uh, yeah. I could not find it at a bookstore the last time I oh, went. That's a bummer. <laughs> um, and then in the kind of the similar vein of tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, which is kind of a clunky name to say, I will give it that, is um, this book I read by Emily St. John Mendel called Sea of Tranquility. Um, She's the author of Station Eleven and The Glass Hotel. Uh, All three of these books are interconnected. I read, I did read Sea of Tranquility in one sitting on a plane, and I was kind of like, if you hadn't read those other two books, you'd be like, what the fuck is this about? Um, So... (laughs) uh, 
Station Eleven is about like a post-pandemic apocalyptic world uh, about a group of people who are performing what they can remember of Shakespeare while traveling around, traveling around like ravaged post-America North America. Um, and then The Glass Hotel is about a Ponzi-like figure, uh, a Ponzi scheme, uh, Bernie Madoff-like figure, I meant, um, and, like, how his life affected, like, a domino effect of other people's lives, like, ruining them. And you're like, how do those two books have anything in common? <laughs> but they somehow both meet up in Sea of Tranquility, which is also about um, pandemics uh, and also time travel. And it's very difficult to explain for that reason because it's kind of like skips through time and it introduces like a fictional version of Emily St. John Mendel. But I feel like if you've read those other two books and enjoyed them, it's just like a perfect cap to that little series. I feel like she is a good example of this like type of genre that I think I actually really like a very humanistic fiction that is... Like, I felt this way about Tomorrow and Tomorrow, too, that basically is, like, people are good and the things people endeavor to do with their lives are, like, mostly good Mm -hmm. and worth, like, learning about. Cool. Um, Emily St. John Mandel is also, like, super into very weird, specific things. She's really into hotels. She loves writing about hotels. She's really into shipping. Like, literally, she's into how things get from point A to point B. That's so funny. uh, So it's fun to read an author and just, like, pick up that she has these very, very specific interests. Um, and then the last book that I tore through recently is called Sundial. It's by Catriona Ward, who I think is an Irish author. Um, it is a horror novel. It is, I think, strikes the perfect note for a horror novel in that it is, like, fast, fun, not too serious. And yet, like, I wasn't totally shocked by any twists in it, but I did feel it. I was like, oh, shit. Like, every time something happened, it... Even if it wasn't, like, the biggest shock in the world, I was like, this was so well-deserved wow. or, like, well-plotted. Oh, cool. It is – yeah, it's really good. It's about um, – so there's, like, three different storylines. One follows this woman, Rob, as an adult, realizing she is not only in a abusive relationship with her true asshole of a husband, but that her oldest daughter is exhibiting signs that relate to kind of the mental illness, we'll call it, that – affected her and her sister's life when they were children and she becomes really worried about her oldest daughter and kind of takes her oldest daughter back to her family homestead which is in the desert so then then the second plot line is about rob's childhood where she grew up in a remote facility in the desert um, with her parents and her sister while they her parents experimented on a pack of like feral dogs uh, and tried to see if basically they could like control the dogs with chips in their brains so she and her sister had this very unusual upbringing where they like basically lived alone with all these animals um and that's really all all i will say about it because it's uh got a lot of good twists but it's good if you like weird mother daughter sister (laughs) scary stuff horror uh animal horror (laughs) hell yeah Uh, i just i just really really enjoyed it i was like this thing fucking rocks and i think i want to read her other book now because it was just so well done that's awesome again not not high all of those (laughs) but just you know yeah so exciting it's spooky season time Mm -hmm. to read a horror novel time to discuss bram stoker's dracula yeah let's do it uh so you have seen this movie before it was my first time Absolutely, watching it. Absolutely, I have. Yeah. Um, it is, if you can believe it, supposedly, according to Francis Ford Coppola, the director, 
the first like straight up adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. I was so surprised uh, reading the Wikipedia after yeah. watching the movie. And I had read the book before in high school, but I don't remember like any of it really. But pretty much mm. pretty much everything that happens in the book happens in the movie. It's It's super accurate, which I was surprised by. Yeah, he really wanted to make, I think, a faithful adaptation. Um, uh, he said in this documentary that was made about the making of the film, for instance, he is the first director to include lots of side characters, such as Quincy mm. Morris, the cowboy, who I don't think it would be the film. What would it be without Quincy Morris, the cowboy? I agree. I think, you know, you sent me that mm. YouTube documentary that interviewed everyone about yeah. the movie, and I thought that one of the interesting parts was that Coppola sort of told all the character actors like take the script yeah. and see if you want to like add anything or change anything yeah. and bring it back and he was like they all of course made their parts bigger and that was the movie yeah <laughs> and then, that really comes through because you do it does feel like there is this big cast of characters and they all feel pretty realized I would say and the the book is an epistolary novel so you do get to hear every character's voice in some way through their mm -hmm. writing i love reading a book like this where you're like so we're to believe all of these people kept diaries you know <laughs> yeah i guess like, like back then maybe yeah maybe they didn't have netflix um <laughs> something else i think that is really evident in coppola's version is that he is like a filmmaker who loves film um and there's a quote from him from entertainment weekly where he said uh Basically, Winona Ryder brought him this script, and she, quote, told me she loved this Dra Dracula script that was very much like the book, and then I thought, well, Dracula was written at the same time as cinema was invented. What if I made Dracula much in the way the earliest cinema practitioners would have? You know, making a thing that is, in fact, what it is also about, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And the movie begins with this, uh, like, flashback to Dracula's heyday. He's in a battle. And it, I think you were pointing to this out when we watched, that it looked like puppetry, almost. Well, yeah, it looks like that first mm -hmm. animated film, The Arabian Nights or whatever, where it's mm -hmm. like, you know, the shadow puppets or like, is, is Kara Walker the artist that does that now? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. It looks like that, which is really cool. And, you know, a callback to early film, totally. Um, and it also feels like like an earlier film in a way where I didn't feel like the world extended much beyond these characters yes. mm -hmm. like it really was like only about this thing and in that way it sort of felt kind of small um and usually mm -hmm. that bothers me about movies like I like to have an expansive world um but I didn't mind it here because I felt like there was so much going on in this like small the emotions were so high like yeah you need to extend more and that's interesting too because Coppola really wanted to keep this uh to a smaller budget you know relatively speaking because he had gone over budget for his last few films um so he they saw they shot a lot of it on sound stages or like specially made sets and they also uh used practical effects only which I think kind of enhances that feeling of like it's a small world we're on like a small yeah. set um, it's very contained. Yes. And the practical effects are just so amazing. But we'll get into those. Um, I just wanted to know also that this film 
1992 when it came out, opened at number one in the United States, grossed $215 million against a production budget of $4 million. So it's like a smash hit. Yeah. Which is crazy to think about. And that it is number one in the country is crazy to think about. On my birthday. Um, As on Bridget Mackenzie's birthday when it pointed opened, out. which is amazing. Yeah, November. Um, like, I just can't believe there was once a world that, like, a this big, sexy, weird epic about vampires. I guess that was a world, again, with Twilight. <laughs> Never mind. Number one well, in the country. with, like, practical, like, with practical effects. Yeah. And <laughs> that... It's fucking weird in a way that Twilight is not weird. Absolutely. And it has, I mean, we can get into it now. It has a star-studded cast, which probably helps. Yes. We have Gary Oldman in the, the titular role. <laughs> Winona Ryder, you know, has her in her It Girl days. Keanu Reeves, Matinee Idol, um, Anthony Hopkins, Sadie Frost, Carrie Yules, um, Richard E. Grant. It just is totally stacked with like lots of faces you'll immediately recognize. So it, it wasn't like it was a underdog, but right. it's just cool to see. Yeah, it's like when you have practical effects like effects like that, it does it gives it like and we've talked about this before, like on our house mm. episode or even on the Twilight episode. Mm. Like it yeah. it gives it like an arts and craft like DIY feel, which I think, you know, we mm-hmm. obviously associate with like lower budget like smaller things so Mm -hmm. that's true but also when gary oldman is in like the wolf suit or when he is at one point he looks like kind of a scary bat guy Mm -hmm. uh, b-a-t he looks amazing he looks like a real creature and if they had done cgi for that he would not have looked like a real flesh and blood animal in the room with all those other actors yeah uh so it's just a real shame and supposedly um Francis Ford Coppola was not happy with the studio team of special effect dudes, so he fired all of them and then hired his 24-year-old son, Roman. And he was basically like, I want every effect to be like a magic trick. And his, he was like, my son is into magic, so he could do it. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. Like, I know. It, I mean, it worked out. It looks incredible. It, it looked I, really good, yeah. yeah. And I was thinking of a few like of the special effects that I really noticed. One of them was when Lucy turns into a vampire, um and she's confronted by the the bro squad um in like a catacomb Mm -hmm. they uh van helsing like approaches her with a crucifix and she gets back into her um tomb or what is the word i'm looking for casket like slowly but you can Mm -hmm. tell that they filmed it they shot it in reverse you know like they Mm -hmm. just reverse this so it makes her have like kind of a weird unnatural movement yeah um but it's like that's perfect that's like like i i can figure out how you did it but it also looks really cool yeah you know yeah I agree. And just like the, there are a lot of shots of like eyes in the sky, like, like over, what is that called? Like an eye in the sky or something. It looks so cool. Crazy lighting where like the whole scene Mm -hmm. is like red or blue or something. And yeah, just super cool visually. Um, Yeah. A feast for the eyes. A total feast for the eyes. Mackenzie, what is this movie about? Sex sex about how sometimes you have to wait you have to travel through oceans of time to to have good sex uh yeah i don't know i think that i was surprised at how much i kind of 
fell for Mina and Dracula's love story. I didn't expect that, but I was very into it. I thought they were, they should be together. I was rooting for Mina to become a vampire. I thought I was like, loved her best friend, Lucy having four boyfriends, including one is Dracula. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It was like, it was anti-monogamy, it was yeah. gay. Yeah. It was yeah. like Lucy and Mina kiss, which is like Lucy and pretty. Mina kiss, yeah, like what ninety two? I don't know. Like yeah, yeah. in a blockbuster it's, like this, this is cool. Oh yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you in that. It's like I was surprised also by how much I was into Mina and Dracula because I'm a Raoul girl and not a Phantom girl, mm-hmm. and. You know, it's a similar site. Yeah, like, yeah. Kind of through uh, <laughs> love triangle here, <laughs> um, but it's a very sexy movie. And this might sound totally crazy and unlike me. I will say, I think it's a very sexy movie without Winona Ryder or Sadie Frost being too oversexualized. I agree. No, I totally agree. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that if anything, at least. This is the way I saw it and Mm -hmm. in a very like obvious way to me that like the men that were trying to kill Dracula were bad. (laughs) Yeah, because like they're like he's making these women too horned up. Yeah. And like like mm -hmm. and and they it's sort of like a it has like a witch hunt vibe or something where it's like this gang of men that are wanting to kill a woman or mm-hmm. kill a woman's lover because they don't approve of him or something. Yes. And when Lucy is first like afflicted with vampirism and is not totally a vampire yet, her symptoms are basically that she looks like she's turned on. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like she's like ill in bed, but like her chest is heaving, you know, like mm-hmm. she's overcome. Uh, she's feverish. Uh, and... Mina and Lucy have like very palpable expressions of being aroused by Dracula. Mm-hmm. And Winona Ryder had to say about this at the time, which is, quote, Mina, like many women in the late 1800s, has a lot of repressed sexuality. <laughs> Everything about women in that era, the way those corsets forced them to move, was an indicative of repression. To express passion was freakish. Um, so she's, you know, right along with us. Something else really funny that we read is that Coppola felt too uncomfortable to direct Sadie Frost and Winona in the sexy scenes, which is crazy on one hand, but he brought in uh, like a woman to talk to them about the sexy scenes, which I wrote in our notes in a way ahead of his time, like an intimacy coordinator, (laughs) you know? You know, it kind of makes sense. It also, watching him in that documentary direct, uh, even like in a few different scenes, he is so vague. I it would yeah, drive me so nuts yeah. to work with him. Yeah. He's I mean, like there's like one scene he's like yeah. try and be scary and evil. <laughs> like <laughs> that was like a direction that he gave to uh, yes. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Old Gary, Gary Oldman's like, Oldman like okay, like, like I'll do yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um I think, you know, Gary Oldman, complicated guy, definitely probably abused a woman or two in his <sighs> past, maybe. Um, but is really good in this, uh, maybe because he has that like dark, creepy edge to him. Uh, his performance, I think, is a highlight of the movie. Mm-hmm. 
he purportedly clashed with Winona Ryder on set. She's talked about that a bit recently and was kind of like, ah, oh, it's all old news now, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no secret he got sober. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought he was very effective in this role, but he also has the help of some amazing costuming and creature design oh, to yeah. back him up. Not unlike when he played Winston Churchill <laughs> in an award-winning film. So, <laughs> Yeah, the costumes were so cool um and like unique like you like 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 mm-hmm. the visual effects you know like it, they matched perfectly i would say mm-hmm. the costume designer is a japanese woman named aiko ishioka and she had actually never done costume design before crazy she was just like a graphic designer yeah i looked up her posters so coppola said that she did what was the movie the apocalypse now. Apoc- apocalypse now posters and she did japanese posters for them and i looked them up and you could see how they kind of influenced the look of dracula i feel like because they have these very like i don't know saturated mm. skies i guess um oh and, yeah i'm looking at them now yeah cool. yeah they're really cool looking um and look almost like sci-fi i guess they do. Yeah, she has such a distinct eye, and I think her um, contributions to this movie really take it to the next level, honestly. Um, she really kind of references um, the animal world in a lot of her uh, designs, like Dracula's first scene in this like red beetle armor, where it's like um, kind of striated like a beetle, uh, and then later when Lucy becomes a vampire and is buried in the crypt, she is, has this big ruffled collar. It's kind of like lizard-like. Um, it's just really, really interesting. And it, it kind of just like keeps the eye moving all the time. And the other thing about this movie that it was so crazy that it was number one is that it just looks so beautiful all the time. And I feel like now our eyes are so used to just like the Netflix movie look where it's like all the same looking, you know? Yeah, or like, and I know I say this and like, every episode (laughs) I feel like there is just a sort of like grittiness to older movies that have like uh practical effects that yeah right now like movies now are just too like shiny they're like too they really are polished too flat I don't know there's no texture um yeah but absolutely this this movie was full of texture what's your favorite costume what was your favorite look well, I love Dracula's beetle armor. Um, it kind of like even he's a human at that point, but it kind of also hints that he is like otherworldly or like evil in some way before we even get to that part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also really love Lucy's red dress that she wears into the garden when mm-hmm. she is seduced by Dracula in wolf form. Yes. What about you? Did you have a favorite look? Uh, well, I loved both of those too. I mm-hmm. felt like Dracula's armor sort of looked like just raw muscle too like oh, it looked yeah, like he had point. like no, like his skin stripped off like it was just yes. very um like and it was the color it was red so it was like very mm-hmm. menacing I guess um and then I I did love uh Lucy's vampire costume that was mimicking the lizard yeah, uh so cool and I also this isn't a costume but I loved <laughs> I loved the bat 
Dracula. Oh, yeah. Bad Dracula looked so good. Like, so scary. So, like, gross and kind of, like, yeah. revolting. But, great. Like, honestly, <laughs> that guy, what's his name? Mike Flanagan kind of copied Bat Dracula. I mean, I you know, it's, like, all yeah. referencing the same thing. Right. But in Midnight Mass, that bat looks just like yeah, Bat Dracula. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're, yeah. you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird that, like... I, I don't know. Dracula is just such a part. It, it's weird because Dracula is such a, it comparatively like a pretty recent story. Like it's not yeah, it's super really. old, but it's such a, it's so like woven into every part of like pop culture, I feel like. Yeah, it's like Bram Stoker obviously did not invent the vampire, but right. to have a character kind of subsume the rest of like folklore yeah. in this way is so impressive, you know? Yeah. Where I was even thinking that, you know, like Dracula in his story is kind of like a tragic romantic hero almost. Mm-hmm. Um, where like we were saying, we were both like kind of wooed to his side almost yeah. immediately and like rooting for him. And I feel like there's a touch of that in every subsequent vampire story told you know from right. like angel and buffy the vampire slayer to edward yeah you know to all the other ones <laughs> uh, there's this also i'm sure like in vampire diaries as well you know yeah. there's like this yearning this element of like they're cursed cursed to immortality yeah. but their love like flickers through time yeah and repeats uh yeah so he's so influential so snaps for mr stoker yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, one change that they made from the book to the movie, I guess I realized after reading the Wikipedia, was that in the book, Harker, Keanu Reeves' character in the movie, kills Dracula, but in the movie, Mina kills yeah, Dracula. Yeah, I wish Francis Ford Coppola would have talked about that in that documentary watched. I'm interested to hear. It makes it definitely more tragic. Mm-hmm. Totally. That it's Mina. Who kills him? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think I like it better this way, but I haven't finished reading the book, so. I think I like it better this way too because it feels like, I don't know, I it definitely felt like Mina had a lot of like agency in this yeah, movie absolutely. to me, which I felt was very cool and um, unexpected. Uh, yeah, totes. And. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to feel the way I did about the movie until the very Mm -hmm. end, I guess. Like, I wasn't sure if it was intentional that I was thinking, oh, this, like, band of men is, like, kind of bad. Like, yeah. And it's, like, the Van Helsing character played by Anthony Hopkins, like, forces himself on Mina at one point. And it's just, like, super, like kind of villainous like honestly yeah uh yeah but then I felt like when Mina killed Dracula I was like I think that was all like intentional (laughs) I wasn't just like reading too much into this like absolutely I know I I totally agree with you and it's helpful to hear you like articulate it like that actually because Van Helsing is definitely like kind of has like bad ulterior motives or he's just looking for kind of like personal fulfillment (laughs) Totally. killing a vampire yeah um and then the other men are all motivated by like kind of wanting to 
remain in charge of Lucy and Mina, you know? Yes. And like the specific ways they could relate to women then. Um, Except, I mean, yeah. Keanu Reeves, though, he doesn't do anything bad in this movie. He's just <laughs> he's just a sweet boy. Yeah. And you know what? He is a victim here. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He His hair, Poor like, Keanu. goes white by the end. It goes shiny gray. Shiny gray. What do you mean? <laughs> Old lady wig from uh, Spirit Halloween. Yeah, the one, the one bad like effect mm. was Keanu Reeves' hair. Yeah, it's so crazy because I just don't get when people have bad wigs. I truly, truly don't. Or I guess like you can't dye people actors' hair, but it just looked terrible, really <laughs> terrible. Um, we should probably get into talking about the reception this movie had when it came out. It, we've already repeated that it was number one in the country, but a lot of people did not like this movie, which is so surprising to me. Yeah, and the focus of their ire was Keanu Reeves and yeah. Winona Ryder. And you know what? No, they don't have very good accents. But they are both the type of actors in the same way other vampire star Kristen Stewart is, where, like, they're never going to be fully subsumed into a role. Yeah. But their their presence is why you watch them in something. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Um and, you know, I did, I thought, yeah, you're totally right. Although I did think Winona Ryder did a better job than Keanu Reeves. But yeah, there was absolutely. just, her role was also just meatier. Yeah, that's true, too. Keanu Jonathan Reeves Rucker was, like, sleeping. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not even, he's not even in most of the movie. Right, totally. Yeah. yeah. I feel for them both. And also, you know, like, they're acting opposite Gary Oldman, who's, like, chewing the scenery up. Right. So, that's, that's no... Yeah. And then, you know, the movie was still great. I know. You can definitely look past it. <laughs> Mackenzie, some people, as we mentioned, really did not like this movie. What do the good people of IMDb think? I'll tell you. This is the first review, uh, one star review, I think, right? Maybe? Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. This movie, in my opinion, has to be one of the worst cast films in the history of movie making, at least when you consider that the two main characters are played by Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. They are two of the most limited actors in Hollywood and should never have been allowed to read the script in the first place. As bad as they are, they do not even give a good performance even by their standards, most likely due to poor matching of script to abilities. Pretty unfair, I would say. Yeah, I mean... I don't, I think, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And then this person said, calling it Bram Stoker's Dracula is an exercise bordering on the farcical. This film should be called Francis Ford Coppola's unashamed molestation of Dracula, aided and abetted by the most staggeringly inept fake English accents ever committed to celluloid. And then another one ends with Francis Ford Coppola should get on his knees and beg for forgiveness from Bram Stoker. Lots of diehard Dracula fans in the IMDb reviews of this movie who are not happy. Which doesn't make any sense to me because it's the same. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, it is like exactly the same. I saw one that was like, "That's this is not accurate. Lucy is not a slut. Uh, Dracula is not sexy. <laughs> She like, does have do. three boyfriends. Well, it's yeah, book. she does ha- literally have three boyfriends. <laughs> I mean, who cares? Like, who cares? Good for her. <laughs> She's weighing her options. Oh my god. 
that's so like funny. Um, Mackenzie, what would you rate Bram Stoker's Dracula slash Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula? Uh, Coppola, Coppola. I feel like I'm not pronouncing his name correctly. But Coppola. As it, I don't know. Italian American. I can do that. I'm gonna rate it like a a seven because Thanks. I thought it was super fun. I was so sleepy when watching it, so I feel like it might not be fair for me to rate it, but I do think it was so beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. And it really, you know, changed my perspective on Dracula, like the origin story for all of vampire media since, you know. Absolutely. I so agree with that assessment. I'm going to give it an eight. This is my... This is my second time watching the movie, and I just love how, like, friggin' audacious it is. <laughs> uh, and I love all the weird risks that Francis Ford uh, Coppola, Coppola took that, like, maybe didn't age or didn't, like, set, sit well with people at the time. Mm. But I think he's someone who loves movies, and he imbued this film with his love of all of the different crafts that go into making a movie, like set design the costume design special effects he was really thinking about it from every angle so thoughtfully um and he made just like a killer vampire movie yeah so we give him all the props yeah <laughs> yay it's funny <laughs> i guess one fun fact about this movie that i want to mention is that uh, winona Ryder and keanu reeves may be like actually married oh yeah <laughs> because they get married in the movie and Coppola used like a, a Romanian priest yeah a real <laughs> priest to do it and they still like joke and call each other like husband or whatever so they I think that's super joke. cute it's so cute yeah it's what sweeties yeah <laughs> <laughs> this movie 100% recommended for sweeties yeah totally <gasps> um well Chick Flicks is researched and written by Bridget Hovell and edited by Mackenzie Chapman. Many thanks to Tim Grieve Carlson for our music. Stay tuned for our next episode and maybe a newsletter. Big thanks coming. We're shaking things up a little bit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter where we will be posting. uh, At Chick Flicks Pod and email us at chickflickspodcast at gmail. Thank you for listening.